This whole concept of making better believers, which we'll talk about for a, an extended period of time, one thing is true for every one of us that is here today as believers. Um, there's room for growth and development and improvement in our lives. Can you say amen? amen? There's room for us to move forward and to mature in the things of God. And so we're interested in that growth. Um, no matter how fruitful we are, we presently are, or have been in our lives. The Lord is always desiring more fruitfulness by his grace from our lives, and we're expecting that this year. And so we're talking about making better believers, and we're going to talk about something today. I think I'll only get to part one today. We're going to talk about the authority of a praying and fasting church, that during this time of prayer and fasting and even beyond, a church that prays and fasts, and when I say church, I'm not talking about an institution, I'm talking about a people, that when people pray and fast, God grants us great authority. The church has great authority, and we're going to see that from the scriptures. In the, in the last series that, that I taught on the king, um, I shared and mentioned how sonship to God and citizenship in the kingdom of God, it provides four things for us. Identity, we talked about authority, privilege, and inheritance. There's two things that Jesus came to accomplish in our lives to make us sons of God. Everybody say sons of God and say citizens of the kingdom. Always remember those are the those are the two foundational truths of your identity. You are a son or a child of God and you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Those things define our identity more than anything else. And within that sonship and that citizenship, the Lord uh, grants us some privileges, you could say, of identity, authority, privileges in the kingdom, and inheritance. And we're going to talk a little bit about just the authority part today um, a little bit. You can't talk about the king without talking about a kingdom. Anytime you talk about a king, every king has a kingdom. If, if you don't have a kingdom, you're not a king. The two, are, the two are synonymous. The two go together. And so the moment we say that Jesus is Lord or Jesus is king, we have to have conversations about what the kingdom of God looks like. What does he rule over? What is the effect? What is the nature and the character of the, of the spiritual geographical territory that Jesus rules over? Come on, think with me for a moment. What, what does the situation look like when Jesus is in charge? Come on, what does, what does your home look like when Jesus is in charge? What does the nation look like when Jesus is in charge? Every king has a kingdom. Let's take a look at a few verses of scripture as we're, as we're beginning to set the stage here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And keep in mind that Jesus himself in Revelations chapter 1 calls us kings and priests. He calls you and I a king. So again, anytime you mention king, every king has to have a kingdom. And if Jesus calls you a king, that the implications is that there's a kingdom that you, you should be ruling over. Amen. Somebody say, man, come on. This. If he calls you a king, that means that there's some area of 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 life. There's some things within your environment that you should have dominion over if Jesus refers to you as a king. Because every king, their life is synonymous with the kingdom. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter six for, for a moment here. We know this in this manner. Therefore, Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done where as it is and where your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's skip down to Matthew chapter six, verse thirty three. Same chapter, same sermon on the mount. Just a few verses later. 
Jesus makes this statement, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be what? shall be added to you. He makes a promise as we seek first the kingdom and the kingdom of God, everything that we need in life, the things that the Gentiles and non-believers stress over, they worry about, they do immoral things to get. Jesus says, as we seek the kingdom, those things are going to be added to us. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, here's, a, here's an expositional note. If you're, a, if you're a student of the word, and this is pretty interesting. Between Matthew chapter 6, 9 and 10, when Jesus tells us to pray for the kingdom of God to come here on earth as it is in heaven. And between that verse and Matthew 6, 33, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus teaches on five things in between praying for the kingdom to come and seeking the kingdom. He prays for five things. He teaches on five things. He teaches about forgiveness. He teaches about fasting. He teaches about finances. He teaches about fear and he teaches about faith. Come on, connect the dots with me from praying, going from praying for God's kingdom to come to see God's will happen here on the earth as it is in heaven and saying, explaining to us how to seek the kingdom of God. He teaches on those things, five those five things strategically, forgiveness, fasting, finances, fear and faith, as if to say, this is how you do what you pray for. Somebody say, amen. Amen. He explains to us how to seek the, ki- the kingdom of God. You got you to walk in forgiveness. You got to walk in love. He begins to teach in the Sermon on the Mount about fasting, which we're doing right now. He begins to talk about, talk about finances. He makes that statement that, that you can't serve two masters, that wherever you lay up your treasure, if you lay your treasure in heaven, we just saw some of that. He talked about fear, what it means to have no fear. And then he talked about what it means to live a life of faith. Oh, ye little, oh, ye of little faith. And he teaches those five things to help us understand how to seek the kingdom of God that we're praying for. Somebody say amen. amen. So we're going to continue to build some, some, some launching pad, to build a platform for this teaching. I've, as we talk about the church's authority, the authority of a praying and a fasting church, the church's authority has to back up to something. That God has delegated authority for the church, but it has to back up to something. And let me, let me remind you of my analogy of, of when I explain how authority works. The two primary kinds of authority in scripture. Number one is, is dunamis. The second is exousia. I've shared some of this with you before. Dunamis and exousia. The two kinds of power or the two kinds of authority in the church. The dunamis kind of authority has to do with power is where we get the, the, the term, the terminology dynamite. That's explosive power. Let's just say that God has dunamis. Explosive power. That's Dunamis has to do with the force to affect change. That's dunamis power. We don't have dunamis in and of ourselves. We can't change much. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. You can't. There's, a, there's a whole lot that we deal with in life. You have no ability to change it because we don't have dunamis. God has dunamis. But the second kind of power or authority is exousia. Exousia is delegated authority. And my, my analogy to help you understand, understand how exousia and dunamis work together is I use the analogy of a five foot six female police officer standing in front of a semi truck. Let's just say she does not have physically the dunamis to stop that truck. That truck will run her over because the truck has more power than she does. She does not have dunamis or the force to stop the truck, but she does have exousia. Come on. Amen. 
that she has, she, as long as she wears a badge that identifies her as a police officer, she has the delegated authority to make that truck stop, even though she doesn't have the force to stop it. Are you understanding this? She has exousia authority, delegated authority. Watch this, because that badge, that authority that she has is backed by the state. And there are consequences for anyone who disobeys her authority. So in the kingdom of God, God has dunamis. He has the force and the power to affect change, to change anything that needs to be changed. But you have exousia. Let's just say God has given you a badge. He gives you a badge and you have the authority to speak to situations and circumstances, even demons and the devil himself. You have a badge and you have authority to speak to him, to tell him what to do and what not to do. And that authority is backed by God's dunamis. And if this this is the heart of how the church of Jesus Christ is able to affect change in the world, it's an issue of authority. If, if we really spent some time on this, you know what? Anything that bothers you and anything that you don't like is your fault. Amen. Because you have not exercised the authority that you've been, that's been delegated to you to change it. Amen. Listen, this is so important. You've been given exousia. You've been given, you've been given authority. Pray for the kingdom, Jesus said. Seek the kingdom. Those things, forgiveness, faith. Finances, fasting, all those things. You've been delegated authority or exousia to affect change by the power or the dunamis of God. Somebody say amen. This is so and this is so important for us to understand. Let's let's get going here and continue here. I want to I want to I want to I want to take my time to to build this. Paul says when you preach the gospel, convince. I'm trying to I'm trying to convince you this morning to Come on, walk with me. Paul says convince sometimes. You got to convince people that we are who the word says that we are and we have what the word says we have. I'm trying to convince you this morning. You have authority. You have exousia and it's backed up by the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. Look at this statement here. We're talking about Jesus's agent of change in the earth. His agency for change. Speaking of the church, the church of Jesus Christ is his sole delegated agent of authority on earth. The church of Jesus Christ. Somebody say, that's me. That's That's us. We are the church of Jesus Christ. His sole delegated exousia agent of authority in the earth is the church. Watch this. Not governments. Not Fortune 500 companies. His delegated. Listen, not universities. Not the Hollywood production companies. His only agent of change and authority in earth is the church of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. That means that when God wants to do something in the earth, he employs the church of Jesus Christ to operate in his authority to do it. Hmm. We're talking about the authority of a praying and a fasting church. Let's go to Luke chapter three, verse one. Let's start here. Luke chapter three, beginning at verse one, it says this now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Remember I said now that, that the church is his only agent of, of change and his only agent of authority in the earth. Listen at this. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor in Judea, 
Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee. All of this matters. All of this is important. His brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. Verse 2, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, listen at this phrase, the word of the Lord, the word of God, came to who? John. John, where? Come on, let's pay attention to what's going on here. That is, it lists all of these political and government leaders. (laughs) When God started speaking, the word of God did not come to all of those political leaders. It came to one guy out in the wilderness who walked with God. Come on. Help you understand how the authority of God works. It It gives a resume of all the government leaders. But then it says the word of God, which is power. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Let's continue. Verse three. And he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Verse four, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of who? Are you tracking with me? When Caesar, all the T-Trucks, all the political leaders, the word came to John from God. And John starts talking about the king is coming. The king. We're going to come back to that. Prepare the way of the king. Remember, we saw that. The kurios. Get this. Make his path straight. Verse 5. Listen at the result. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. And the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see what the salvation of who are you tracking with me? So in, in today's let's just say in this in our contemporary setting. The word of the Lord came to a man who did not live in Washington, D.C. Who was not a part of the political ruling class in America. In the height of the political season, when God wanted to communicate something and he wanted to affect change and exercise his authority in the earth, it didn't go to the government leaders. It went to one man in the wilderness who walked with God. So when the scriptures talk about in the days of Caesar and Philip the Tetrarch, let me let me bring that into contemporary setting for us today for the for the contemporary church. In the days of Donald Trump president. In the days of Mike Pence, vice president, in the days of Nancy Pelosi, speaker of the House, Chuck Schumer, minority leader, in the days of J.B. Pritzker, governor of Illinois, in the days of Lori Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago, the word of the Lord came to a small group of people who were praying and fasting in a room. Come on. Come on. Come on. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord for yes. me. Hallelujah. Talking about the authority of a praying and a fasting church. That when God gets ready to move, he looks for people, a church, he looks for people in prayer and fasting to give them authority to affect change in the earth and his, on his behalf. Somebody say amen. amen. Look at this. I remind you, Lord. I talked about this last time. Kurios. He's supreme in authority. 
master controller, owner, and emperor. In the days of Caesar, all the T-trucks, all the government leaders, the word about the kurios came. And notice, notice what, what John says. He begins to say that in verse, verse 5, when the, when the Lord comes, he says this, Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. Listen, the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. Now listen. Don't you think we have some crooked places in our society? And you know what John was saying? That all the government leaders that were listed did not have the authority to straighten out the the crooked places. All of those government leaders, Caesar, the chief the governor, the political people, they did not have the authority to get rid of the mountains and to raise up the valleys. They didn't have the authority to do it. But he came to prepare the way of the Lord to speak the one about the one who was the Lord who will come, who has the authority to change a society in a way that the government could not. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. And who has the keys to that authority? We're going to see it. The church. It's the authority of a praying and a fasting church. Somebody say amen. Amen. This is important. Let's continue. Matthew chapter 28. Look at this one. Jesus makes this statement here. He says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, how much authority? Come on, say it again. How much authority? Come on, how much authority? Come on, think about it. All authority, Jesus says, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You believe that? Come on, do you believe that? All authority, all authority, all authority to, to make those crooked places straight, the rough places plain, the mountains to be brought low, the valleys to be exalted. Isaiah says, and uh, the glory of the Lord is going to be seen because the mouth of the Lord has declared that all authority to affect that and to make it happen has been delegated to the church. Jesus could have done anything with all the authority That had all been given to him. But let's see what does he do with all that authority that he has. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 18. It tells us this. And Jesus says here, and I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build what? I will build my church, which is backed by all that authority that's been given to Jesus. Listen at this. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So right up front, he's describing a cosmic conflict between the church and hell. A conflict between the church and hell. Jesus has all authority. And then he says, I'm going to build my church. But listen at verse 18. And I will give you the what? Keys of the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this statement. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Somebody say amen. Amen. Jesus says, I have all authority. What did he do with that authority? He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build my church and I'm going to give my church the keys. And he says, whatever, whatever the church binds on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. And whatever the church looses on earth will be loosed in heaven with my authority. There's 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 a few will statements. Jesus says, I will build my church. 
He says, I will give the church the keys, but you will bind. Can you see the partnership that he's describing, that he has delegated his authority to the church? I have the authority. I, I, I decided and I've determined to use my church, my authority to build my church. But I'm going to give my church the keys. Amen. But whatever my church decides to bound, bound will be bound. And whatever my church decides to loose will be loose. I will build the church. I will give them the keys. They will decide what gets bound and what gets loosed in the earth. And your home. On your job. In your family. With your children. Come on. With your marriage. Come on. Come on. What needs change? What needs authority? He's giving you the keys. If, if Keith urgently needs to go downtown Chicago right now, and let's just say he doesn't have a vehicle, but for the sake, if he needs to urgently get downtown Chicago, and I say, Keith, here's my key. You can drive my car. If he doesn't make it downtown Chicago, it is not my fault. Because I faithfully provided the means and the keys for him to drive my car. Then whenever he decides to get into it, he can get there. It's up to him to get there, but I gave him the vehicle. Come on. That's right. Everything that needs to be done in your life, I got, I got some theological shaking news for you. Jesus is not going to do everything you need him to do in your life, but he gives you the keys. Amen. Amen. And it's up for us to utilize those keys to exercise the authority associated with them to affect the kind of change that needs to be affected in the earth. Somebody say amen. amen. Glory to God. Let's take a look, look at Matthew chapter 18. Continue to lay some foundation here. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. Jesus makes this statement. He says, assuredly, I say to you. Here's a side note. Anytime you see Jesus makes a statement, sometimes he'll say assuredly. Some translations will say verily, verily. You know how Jesus sometimes talks and he'll start a statement saying verily, verily, or surely, or truly, whatever. He was always start a statement. That's really interesting because that word assuredly, verily, verily, assuredly, truthfully, whatever, that word, it, that word it is, is, is translated amen, amen. That what we, what we normally say at the end of the prayer, God do this, what a, amen. That means so be it, agree, it, we agree, it's done by the will of God. Jesus would often say amen up front. Amen. <laughs> so wherever you see assuredly, verily, verily, Jesus starts by saying amen, it's done, we agree, it's settled. Then he'll explain what the amen was for. <laughs> Come on. So he's saying, amen, number one, it's done, it's settled. That means, that means trustworthily, it's sure, it's guaranteed. First thing he says, amen, come on, all the promises of God are what? Yes. And what? Amen. To the glory of God. Come on, it's Jesus, his name is amen. Come on, read Revelation. He's, 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 he's amen. Come, come on. And he starts by saying, surely or amen. And then he explains, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth again will be bound in heaven. He's repeating it. And whatever you loose on earth 
will be loosed in heaven. Verse 19, again, you, you didn't hear it the first time. You don't believe me. You're not listening. You're not paying attention. He says again, he's stressing it again. I tell you, listen at this, that if two of you agree on earth concerning what? Anything. Concerning what? Anything. Concerning Not a group. <laughs> Lisa, I agree. Your family is blessed of God. Amen. You're going to see God's hand on your family this year in a way that you've never seen before. Amen. The peace of God is going to be on your home. No more stress. Everything you have in your heart, you desire to see in your family that bring God's glory. It's going to be done. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I agree with you. Amen. I agree. Now watch what happens this year in our family. Watch. You know why? We just use our exousia to activate God's dunamis. We can't, we can't. And I'm just I'm not I'm not speaking into anything into her family. I'm just using this for an example. We can't change her children. It's not even wise for us to go to try to change everything in her house that needs to be changed. Sometimes that's how you tear up your family. You go with your spiritually deep self trying to correct everybody, <laughs> trying to straighten everything out, trying to preach to everybody, trying to drag everybody to church. You don't have the dunamis to change them. But you do have the exousia to invoke the force or the power of God to do something that you can't do. Amen. Amen. Come on, come on. It's delegated authority. Come on, come on, somebody say amen. It's a lot of spiritual church folk tear up their family. He says if uh, concerning anything they ask, concerning anything they ask. Remember, Jesus says, I will build my church. I will give the church keys. But you will decide what to bind and what to loose. He gives. Here's a, here's a here's another scary word for our theology. Watch this. He gives us discretion. Mm-hmm. You know, God, you know, man, I'm, I'm getting off here. You know, God, you know, God. Man, let's, let's, let's deal with this religious stuff for a minute. Yes. You, know, you know God trusts you enough to give you discretion? Amen. Well, how do we get into this stuff that we get so deep that we think that God can't trust us with discretion? When, when, when you give your life to Christ and you've been born again and you are a man or a woman after God's own heart and you've been filled with the spirit. You don't think God can give you and trust you, trust you with a blank check. Come on. Is anybody here this morning? We think everything that's going to happen in the earth will let the will of the Lord be done. Sure. The will of the Lord be done. But he gives you discretion. Amen. Amen. He trusts you with discretion. When your heart is right, you know what? You can trust people with discretion. And when you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, God trusts you. 
He, he trusts you. What, whatever, whatever Adam, don't ask me what to name the animals, whatever, whatever Adam said. God gave him discretion. You, you design the earth, you design it however you want it. God put Adam in the garden to tend and to keep it. God says, however you want to manage the garden, Adam, that's your business. I've given you exercise. I've told you to have dominion over the garden, not me. So whatever you want, however you want to design the garden, if you want tulips over here, if you want roses, over, whatever, whatever you want, whatever you design it the way that you want, because I've given you discretion along with your dominion to design it how you want it, Adam. You can have the kind of family you want. Come on, man. Are you, are you guys with me this morning? You can have the kind of life you want. Let me go a step further. We can have the kind of nation we want. You can have the kind of marriage and family that you want because God has given you discretion along with your dominion. Are you understanding me this morning? We the church. Speaking of us. The church, we, speaking of us, have been given authority to change cities, nations, and the world. Look at the contingencies. If we have a big enough vision to, if we have faith enough to believe, if we walk in love, if we exercise our spiritual authority, and if we can agree in unity. We can change families, cities, nations. There is no situation, there is no circumstance in your life that is unchangeable. Everything in your life that seems to have gone wrong, I have news for you. It's reversible. Amen. Come on, come on, come on. It's everything in your life is subject to change. This, this, this is the source of hope for the believers. I'm telling you, telling you why I am hopeful and I am not hopeless because everything is subject to change right. and everything that has gone wrong or seems to be going wrong is reversible in the name of Jesus. Amen. Because he has been given all authority. You don't believe it? You read John chapter 11? When Martha says, by now his body stinks. Talking about her brother Lazarus. He's been dead for four days. Jesus, his body has already started to decompose. The cells have already started to break down. Maybe even the worms have already started to eat his body. But Jesus says, I'll tell the worms to put it back. He's I'm the resurrection and I am the life. It's reversible. I don't care how long he's been dead. I'm the curios. Amen. I'm the resurrection. Death is reversible. Decomposition of the body was reversible. What about your circumstances? If he can raise and resurrect and recompose Lazarus's decomposed body, I promise you Jesus can change your life and change your stuff this year. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. 
relatively speaking, that was a much more difficult, difficult case than anything we're dealing with today. If he can recompose Lazarus' decomposed body, he can turn your life around. He can reverse anything that seems to be irreversible in your life. Somebody say amen. amen. Come on. With God, all things are what? Possible. Come on. With God, all things are what? Possible. With man, it is impossible. But with God, it's possible. Come on. Come on. Bless his name. Yeah. Come on. Give him some praise. Come on. Come on. Bless his name. Come on. Just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for a minute. Praise the Lord for a minute. Come on. Just thank him. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Come on, thank him for something that's being turned around. Hallelujah to Jesus. You have authority. You have authority. Praise the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Now let's let's continue here. Listen, I I'm I'm just I'm I'm trying to give birth to a baby this morning. I'm, I'm trying to get something out. I'm trying to get something out. And li- listen, I'm just just kind of unconventional today. Listen, listen, catch it. Catch it. Come on. This morning, catch it. If you walk out of here and if you don't get what I'm saying, it's because you didn't catch it. I'm putting it out there. I'm just, come on, catch it. You got to catch it. You got, you got to catch it by the spirit. Catch it by faith to understand that God has given you authority. God has given you authority. He's given you authority. And the transformation and the revolution that God desires to bring in and through in your life is going to come when you begin to use the keys that God has given you. Somebody say amen. Amen. A little bit more here. Next one is this. The church exists to continue and complete. This is the purpose of the church in effect. The church exists to continue and complete the mission of Jesus. And is authorized to do so. So we got to ask ourselves, so why did Jesus come and what was his mission? We're talking about the authority of a praying and a fasting church. We're authorized to continue and somebody say complete. complete. We're authorized to continue and to complete. The mission of Jesus is incomplete. Let's just say he began the mission. He delegated authority. He left the earth, he ascended to heaven, and he left it up to us, the church, to complete his mission. We're we're called to complete the second part of Jesus' ministry and his mission. He started it, it's up to us to to complete it. And this is is important because, and and trust me, I get it, every new year, you know, we come out with a new theme for the new year. This is the year of breakthrough. (laughs) This is the year of favor. This is the year of goodness. This is the year of blessing. And you know what? That's all true. I get it. But you don't need a new theme every year. It's, it's the same. The, you don't need a new theme every year, just like you don't need a new Bible every year. It's the same old word. All that stuff has always been in the scriptures from, from the beginning. Every year is a year of favor and blessing and breakthrough. And every year is. Jesus calls it. You want to sum it up how Jesus said he said it's the year of Jubilee. That, every year is a year of Jubilee. It, it, it includes all that stuff. And the reason I'm making that statement is that if we just get caught up into that stuff and we don't realize what's the mission, what is the unchangeable mission of the church? What is it that he's authorized us to do? We need to we need to take a take a good look at that. We don't just need more things about how we can be happy and blessed. You know what we need right now? Really? We need the theme this year that this is the year they're going to shut down these marijuana clinics. That's the theme for this year. (laughs) 
This is the year they're going to shut down the abortion clinics. We need that for a theme in the church. Come on. Authority. Keys of the kingdom. Keys of the kingdom. Watch this. The gates of hell should not prevail. But if, the, but if the gates of hell are prevailing, it's because the church is not operating in authority somewhere along the line. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's go through these and then we'll pick it up next time. Why did Jesus come? What was his mission? Thirteen reasons. I'm going to read these off quickly. We'll revisit them next time. Number one, Jesus came to seek and to save lost people. He came to seek and to save lost people. I'm not going to go through all the scriptures. We'll pick it up next time, but they're all, they're all right there. Number one, what was the mission that Jesus came to do? He came to seek and to save people that were lost. Number two, all of these statements that I'm reading to you right now, Jesus himself says, with the exception of the last one, and I'll explain it. All of these things Jesus says, I came to do this. He personally said, I came to do this. I have come for this reason. Listen, number two, Jesus came to reveal sin and mankind's need for a savior. He says that out of his own mouth in John 15, 22. Number, number three, Jesus makes this statement. He says he came to call sinners to repentance. Number four, Jesus came to do the Father's will. Number five, Jesus came to judge the world, to establish righteousness and unrighteousness in the world. Number six, Jesus came to be light in a dark world. Number seven, Jesus came to serve and give his life for others. I came, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He makes that statement. That's why he came. Number eight, Jesus came to preach the gospel. Number nine, Jesus came to divide the righteous from the unrighteous to establish a holy church and people who would live set apart unto God. That's one of the reasons he came. Number 10, Jesus came to give believers, get this, abundant life. I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. It's why he came. It's the work of Christ. Number 11, Jesus came to fulfill the scriptures, which is the law. Number 12, Jesus came to be king and Lord over all. And look at number 13. This is one we get from, we get from, uh, I believe, from, from John. It says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. He came to destroy the the works of the devil. We're talking about the authority of a praying and a fasting church. That of all the things I just listed to you in terms of the mission of Jesus that he started, that we're called to continue and to complete everything that Jesus came to do. We've been authorized to continue and to complete it. And the last thing on the list that we are authorized to complete, you and I have power to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. 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 Don't don't live subject to him anymore. Rise up in your authority. 
and declare that you're going to destroy every one of his works. You've been given authority. That is the authority of a praying and a fasting church. You get anything out of the word of God this morning?